from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. I think this time of year, you're looking for your guy to be better than the guy at the other end. And uh, that wasn't the case tonight. Boquist back in. It's a one-on-two. Cuts around Petrangelo. He scores! Wow! Boquist got by Petrangelo and sneaks it through Robin Leonard. Robin never went down to the ice. The puck stayed right along the ice. And into the goal it goes for Boquist. 3-1 New Jersey. Right corner, Pacioretty. They got to hurry. Centering pass. Stone fan on a shot. Two seconds and one. Shot at the horn is blocked. And the Devils have won the game 3-2. It's time for Cole and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Tuesday. Cofield and company. Willie Ramirez alongside as the company. Busy day with the NBA. Three games in the playoffs. Uh, More updates on the NHL. Last night, a disastrous loss for the Golden Knights. We'll have full coverage of that in the 3 and 5 o'clock hours and... uh, Later on, we'll also get the NBA betting takes of one Sam Paniotovich, our betting insider from Nesson and Fox Sports. It's the three on Cofield and Company. What's cooking, Willie? You were all over the uh, VGK scene last night, which we'll get to in five minutes. Busy day today as well. Busy day out at the facility in terms of, well, and we're hearing the same thing that we've been hearing that basically they have to win they're in must win territory but you know it's um last night and then again today it's now you gotta now they gotta win their last five games but you know it's it's somewhat been the same story where well the only thing that we've heard the one thing from DeBoer is well we're not going to win or lose or or be eliminated or clinch a playoff spot tonight but when you say that three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eight, you know, to however many games in a row, the mentality sets in that it's almost like a mindset like, well, it's not important, though they know it's important, if that makes sense, you know. Right. And uh, the must win sort of mindset should have been in place a long time ago as injuries were mounting. And it was very apparent you know, that this team was going to be shorthanded for quite some time from some of its biggest names. And, you know, I'm not saying that they took the season lightly or they took things for granted, but, you know, and it's not just DeBoer and his regime. It You know, even early on when this team went to the Stanley Cup final, you always heard, you know, hey, there's a lot of season left. There's a lot of hockey to play. Well, this is the first year where now they're on the outside looking in this late into the season, and there's not a lot of hockey left to play. More VGK coming up, like I said, in five minutes. Uh, Schedule changes potentially for UNLV football in the future. You know, BYU is going to the Big 12. They had set up a couple of years ago a uh, home-and-home series, UNLV and BYU, and BYU always likes to play at the Owl, and it looks like uh, even without UNLV, they may have at least – a game every couple of years at Allegiant Stadium, but it appears, according to uh, Dave McCann, if you recognize the name, used to be here in the market as a uh, sports anchor, has been uh, up in Salt Lake and Provo for years, and uh, he was reporting that the uh, 2023 and 2024 UNLV-BYU games are off the sked. I think it was November of 2024, BYU is going to come to Allegiant to take on UNLV, and to that I say... Hallelujah, because I don't think that UNLV should be playing BYU. I don't think the school's missions 
match up. Uh, UNLV is generally in the top three in terms of student body diversity, and BYU is not. So I'd rather see UNLV play schools that are about inclusion. Yeah, and this is a this is somewhat of a I don't want to use the word rivalry, but it's a they have a historic pairing, if you will. Sure. Even before they played in the same conference, Ton, tons BYU, of BYU fans in the market. Yep, tons of tons of uh, BYU fans. A lot of alumni down here, um, and you know, I mean, going back to some classic games in the '80s, you know. So uh, this was, and they have brought a lot of they brought a lot of fans to. Las Vegas, um, they could count on them. That's why that they were a, a popular draw a lot of times with um, the Las Vegas Bowl, um, and then when they were conference rivals. So, yeah, I'm not sure. We don't, we don't have the reasoning. I saw both tweets. I saw a follow-up tweet asking Dave, what about the return date in Provo? That's off, too. So I'm sure we'll hear more down the road. Um yeah, Roy, I, I had I, no comment on this this morning. The fine is in for Kyrie Irving, $50,000. Eh, I mean, that is a lot of money, but to a guy who's making $35 million, it kind of has zero teeth to it, doesn't it? It does, and I saw that, and I get it. And I don't have anything – I don't have a problem with the fine because there's a, there's a look that the league has to maintain, but I, I want to know where the discipline is for the fans. And that, I, when I saw that, I quoted the tweet was, okay, and the fans, where, where, where's that – they they just allow it to continue to curse and and flip fingers. There's no penalty because that is an NBA arena. It's a same NBA contest. You have to somewhat abide by the rules to be in there. So shouldn't they be held held accountable for the exact same offense? Warriors kicked the crap out of the Nuggets last night and get them really frustrated. Is GSW now Willie's favorite to win the title? I like well. I, I I like them. I think that they should be considered a favorite to win the Western Conference. I don't know about the title, but well, the, I mean, uh, the favorite in the league is the Suns. So if they take out the Suns, and they're the favorite. No. Well, I, I I and the reason I put that and I sent that over was because this is a team that it's not only dominating in this series immediately, but it's starting to look like the same chemistry, playing with the same uh, energy that we saw when it was dominating before. And, yep. you know, and I think that that's important to note because this isn't a team who's missing KD, but KD joined them and then left. But that team had been built. That chemistry was there. Same coach, same core. So it, it's something to think about that that team, as well as it's playing, let's not forget that that's a team that has the experience that's been down this road, it's been to championships, and it's faced adversity, and it's overcame some tough competition. So I do think that it moves into the it, – it should get consideration to move into the favorite spot over the Young Suns. The reason the Suns lost last year in the finals was because of its youth. And if they have to meet the Golden State Warriors in the in the in um, down the stretch in the playoffs – it's gonna have they're gonna have their hands full because this is an experienced bunch that has tasted victory. Golden State, uh two nothing lead in the series, looking all loose last night, going seventeen of forty one from three. Not looking loose, the Golden Knights. They couldn't score, and frankly, Robin Leonard didn't play a great game. We'll get to the Leonard end of things, but just how devastating did it feel at the fortress? Oh, it was uh 
It was deflating, Steve. It was. The only thing that looked good, I mean, the only time that the team looked good or was promising was when Keegan Colasar scored a goal late in the second, and you thought that it might carry some motivation into the third and pick up. But then, you know, this team, and I even wrote this in my postgame story, is, is that the Devils looked more like the team contending for a playoff spot than the Golden Knights did. Even on the bench, the players were not even sitting down on the bench. They were standing up at the wall. They were cheering every time that Andrew Hammond made a save. They were they were cheering when the block when a shot would get blocked. Cheering off of a hard hit. I mean, they were standing hmm. up and, and they, the, the momentum was completely in New Jersey's favor. They yeah. looked like the playoff contending team. Worst loss in franchise history. That's what one writer said. We'll get Willie's take on the way back. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Boquist back in. It's a one-on-two. Cuts around Petrangelo. He scores! Wow! Boquist got by Petrangelo and sneaks it through Robin Leonard. Robin never went down to the ice. The puck stayed right along the ice. And into the goal it goes for Boquist. 3-1 New Jersey. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. That one was real bad looking. Dan Duva on the call. And I mean, not only did Leonard not go down, I don't think Leonard ever saw the puck. He just was staring straight ahead. And then he looked around and the puck is behind him. And I thought after the game, 3-2 loss to the Devils, I thought it was pretty clear DeBoer was succinct in talking about uh, what one of the bigger problems in this game was. You know, I think this time of year, you're looking for your guy to be better than the guy at the other end. And uh, that wasn't the case tonight. He doubled down on it, talking about the goalie situation all year long, and I think cast some doubt on uh, Robin Leonard in particular in his future. It's been an interesting year, you know, between Boisson's been, you know, hurt. Lenny's been hurt at different points and then had, you know, obviously some uh, family issue last week that took him out. So, you know, LT, you know, has, has been consistent in what he's brought for me uh, in a really tough spot. I think he, he's the one guy there that has been there and, and given us what he could. I think I think the other guys, some through circumstances beyond their control, I get it. You know, it's been, uh, it's been tough getting some consistency there. So, Willie, am I off base? I thought he was pretty direct in expressing his disappointment at Leonard last night, and Leonard over the course of the season. That's exactly what it sounded like to uh, to me, to a lot of us. Um, it was topic of conversation today after media availability. Um, in terms of whether or not it's 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 very apparent that Robin Leonard has. I don't know if he's given up on his team, but he's packed it in for the season. If if. If that makes sense, he wait, uh, wait, wait. Who, who, wait. DeBoer's packed it in on Leonard, or Leonard's packed it in on the team. Black, Leonard's packed it in. I don't really? think that. Le- yeah, because well, when you look at the effort, well, first of all, the second goal he gave up, it looked like a half-hearted effort to stab at the puck, and I. Not saying that he's not trying, but I think there's more to the shoulder injury that he was very snarky toward Frank Saravelli about. In that, you know, if you remember, Saravelli said that he may need surgery and after that game that night uh when he returned 
he was very snarky towards Cervelli. Said, as you could tell, I didn't need surgery. Well, that's not what he said. He said that may need, and it was more toward off-season and the same type of injury that he endured. And I had said on this show that I believe that he probably got a shot of cortisone to, to put a, sort of put a quote-unquote Band-Aid on it to get through. Last night, it looked like he wasn't 100%. It didn't look like he could do a lot of things as he was mo- uh, you know, being mobile. There was one time he made a comment jokingly to the press during a press conference. I want to say it was during the playoffs, but someone said something about him being very agile and quick, and he said, yeah, big man can move, or big man was moving. He said something, and he referred to himself in first person, or you know, third person as big man. And one of us said up there, said, big man ain't moving too fast tonight. Because he just doesn't didn't look like himself. The guy who we've seen at his best while he was with this team, quite possibly while he was with, at his best in one of the best career, uh, seasons he's enjoyed his career with the Islanders. But he um, he just doesn't look like he doesn't look like he's up to snuff. He doesn't look like a guy that should have been playing in a game with six games left in the season for a team that needs to win all the way out when you have a somebody who has looked like that when that's the that was the baffling decision was a baffling question the decision that DeBoer made in that you went with Logan Thompson against the number 1 team in the Pacific Division he held them to one goal in their arena Leonard leaves for a family issue um, which nobody knows what what it what it is, and that's you know that's private business. You come back, so the Golden Knights <coughs> lose, and as Peter put it, to a hot goaltender. So he didn't put it on Logan Thompson. He said to a hot goaltender, even though the Golden Knights put a lot of pucks on net. And now you turn around, and you go back to Leonard, and he just didn't look like he was you know ready to play last night. He didn't look like he belonged in net. Why not go back to the guy who somewhat held it down and looked like the better netminder? They say late in the season you got to go to the hot net, hot hand, and Logan Thompson has been it. Your reaction to Dave Shane, who's a regular on the beat from the paper, said, "Fine, I'll say it. That was the worst loss in Golden Knights franchise history." Well, I I don't know if it was the worst one in history, um, and I saw. Some of the replies and a lot of people agreeing that Game Seven, that Game Seven against San Jose, let's just put this out there, was not the worst loss in franchise history. I don't care what any of you, anybody has to say, because if Game Seven was the worst, well then you have to go back and say Game Five was the worst, Six was the worst, because they were up three to one. So they should have won any one of those games to advance. So game, you can't put it on Game Seven. I could go back to last year's Montreal game when Flurry flubbed and turned the puck over from behind the net and gave up an easy goal because it's pretty much been a downward spiral since then. That could be considered it because that was a franchise-changing game. So I'm not on board, but I get where he's coming from considering what's at stake and the opponent that they were playing. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. Off the glove of Leonard, the rebound still loose. The Devils jam out and a chance there for Janssen. He scores! Andreas Janssen cleaning up. Oh! And the stop made. No! 
Right, what a move. Just for Boquist. Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Devils TV on both of those calls and Steve Cantalosi. You heard the second, well, it was actually the third goal, the second in that package of highlights. It was such a weird goal, Willie. It didn't look like it went in and, you know, you saw... Leonard as well was like, I don't even know where the puck is. Last night was just a total mess. It's on the back end of a season where it's been messy all year long. I don't think we know 90% of how messy it's been behind the scenes. I'm curious to see what people coming into town think of this Knights team and what the scuttlebutt is around the league. Steven Wino covers the Caps, covers the NHL for the AP. He joins Cofield and Willie here on this Tuesday. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. How are you guys? Uh, We're good. I mean, we're good. You know, it's fun to cover a a winning playoff hockey team. Right now, that's not the case, and it doesn't look like it's going to be the case. Uh, This Golden Knights season has turned into a freaking disaster here down the stretch. Yeah, it's been a... And and you guys have gotten a a lot of that winning hockey, obviously, since the start of that franchise, but it it, it has been kind of like the perfect storm of everything going wrong for this team, and, and... and a mix of, of look, injuries is things that you can't control and that, but kind of a, a salary cap fiasco that, of the, the Golden Knights are making a little bit and, and kind of everything going wrong in the process. Uh, really, probably from even previous off-seasons uh, of decisions made and, and, and trading Marc-Andre Fleury and, and bringing in Jack Eichel, it's just everything has, has seemed to go wrong. And, and you never thought that with the amount of talent on this roster that the sum of the parts would be so much less than everyone thought. And Stephen, one of the things I brought up today in the in the press conference after practice was this was a team that in 17, 18, all you heard was how great the locker room was, the chemistry, because it was filled with guys that no team wanted. Now it's filled in 21, 22. Now the locker room's filled with acquisitions that everybody wanted, and it doesn't seem like there's any cohesiveness. Braden McNabb, Max Pacioretty, Jack Eichel, they all said, nope, chemistry's great. Uh, and the bond is in, in the locker room is just fine. But it doesn't feel like that. Yeah, no, and, and, and look, I, I don't want to judge saying, like, guys don't get along, but there's something to be said about that kind of natural, like, that, that misfits, golden misfit initial inaugural season where everyone kind of had this very bonding experience. And Gary Bedman's even pointed to uh, the, the, the tragic shooting there in the fall of 2017 and kind of how the community bonded with the team and, and all of that. And I think Gerard Gallant kind of embraced the, the, the sort of like, we're not wanted, uh, sort of like the, the, the Jason Kelsey thought up, you know, no one likes us, we don't care mentality that I think that team had. And so quickly this franchise has turned from the lovable kind of misfit team of, of guys thrown together to mercenaries, for, for lack of a better term. Of You bring in a, a Mark Stone, you bring in via trade, you bring in uh, an Alex Petrangelo as a, as a high-priced free agent, you trade for, for Jack Eichel, and it just feels like you're trying to build this super team uh, to, to win in, in hockey like we've seen in the NBA, and you try to bring all these stars together, and so many decisions along the way have been, oh, you trade an H. Smith because you can't afford him anymore. You trade uh, other kind of uh, Ryan Reeves and, and, and sort of guys who were part of the, the initial group who were part of, of kind of making that team chemistry and to make room for all these big stars. And, and this is not a sport that's played on paper, and, and, and these are more so than I think a lot of other sports. Personalities matter. And, and when you and maybe things don't click either on or off the ice, this is the result. And not just the chemistry, like you said, like the original guys, but 
guys that I mean, I, hockey is more when you're talking about. Yes, there's five skaters out there and, and the goalie, but uh, a collection of, of you know, twenty guys. Um, you're talking about role players and how they fit in their roles and what they're supposed to do from line one to line four, from the first pair to the third pair on the blue line. There's specificity when it comes to roles. You don't need a gang of scorers, whereas you need your superstars and your role players to do what they do. And I think that that's where Vegas has somewhat got away from. Yeah, and, and we've even seen this for like short tournaments and like Olympics and things where you've had general managers say, look, we know we could bring the 23 best players, but we need to fill specific roles. And, and, and look at a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning going back to back and, and Julian Breeswell going, and his big deadline moves were Blake Coleman and Barclay Goudreau uh, and bringing uh, Zach Bogosian in and bringing Zach Bogosian back and, and, and guys who kind of fill certain niches along the way. And, and, and that was what, amazingly, George McPhee did a great job of in the expansion draft and, and the initial offseason of, of kind of finding guys who were like diamond in the rough sort of players. And not only did he stockpile assets that, that he and Kelly McCrimmon then used to be able to, to kind of upgrade the roster and get all of, uh, of this talent on the roster, but the initial team he put together, when you looked on paper, you're like, this team's going to stink. And they didn't because there were roles. Gerard Gallant put players in specific roles. And I, I think kind of throwing Gerard Gallant over the side of the bus, throwing Marc-Andre Fleury over the side of the, over the, side of the boat, those, those sort of situations, it, you, you start to develop a reputation that players, sure, they want to sign in Vegas because the lifestyle is great, the weather is great, and, and you get treated well. But at a certain point, you start to wonder how the organization treats people. And, and, and at that point, down the line, is it going to, to, to lead to free agents not wanting to sign it? Well, and you've known you, you you talk about you know the the upper management, and you've known George McPhee when he was with the Washington Capitals. Um, you're obviously familiar with Kelly McCrimmon, and then uh, with Bill Foley entering the league, and 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 of course his big proclamation: playoffs in three, cup in six. From what you know, and covering on a national standpoint, and what you hear in terms of around the league, I mean, how much is the is is what's taking place from the front office down to DeBoer where it stopped there is is somewhat the same from that opening year is there cohesiveness or is there a little disconnect I, I don't know if there's a disconnect I, I do think that this, the early success of the franchise changed the trajectory of, of kind of what Bill Foley wanted out of this and how quickly he wanted to win because you looked at previous NHL expansion franchises and, and saw how hard it was for them to even become playoff teams and given the rules of the expansion draft, which were planted to help make, make the Golden Knights competitive right away, and given how George McPhee clowned the rest of the league, really fleeced a lot of other GMs in some of these trades, and, and all of a sudden this team gets to the cup final, and then you get to a, a game seven where you probably, probably should have beaten the Sharks, if not for, for a bad call, and you start to wonder, okay, well, maybe it's not cup in six, maybe it's cup in three, and, and, and the expectations start to change, and and that's what I wonder. And and, and there, there might be a great book about this one day about kind of the behind the scenes feelings of of how much of this was Bill Foley, how much of this is Kelly McCrimmon, how much things changed when George McPhee was moved upstairs out of the Daily General of just kind of how the the organization transformed from kind of this kind of very lovable group of, of Cinderella run to wanting everything right away, and and, and whether. Winning the first year would have changed it. Maybe not going to the final would have changed it. I think it's going to be fascinating in, in, in kind of historic hindsight to see kind of where that exactly happened because what it has led to right now could get a lot of people fired in a couple of weeks. 
Well, what's your guess? I mean, if there's someone who's been steering the, the ship, driving the bus, who has led it astray, is it Foley or is it McCrimmon? Is it McPhee? What, is it DeBoer? Well, well, well as, as, as Jerry Jones has famously said, you can't fire the owner. So, so there's that. Um, but I, I, I think it's possible that Kelly McCrimmon and Pete DeBoer and his entire staff lose their jobs if, if, wow. this, if this does not end up in a, in a playoff spot. And for sure, at least Peter DeBoer, and, and, and even his comments about Robin Leonard last night after the game, this is a guy who, he has been fired before. He's had success in places and taken teams to the Stanley Cup finally, as he has in Jersey. And, and so coaches are, are hired to get fired. And I think given kind of the, the, the organizational uh, history now of, of, look, Gerard Gallant didn't get a whole lot of time, uh, to, to, didn't get a whole lot out of that Cup final in terms of, of patience or a long leash. And so I think it's fair to, to assume if you're a coach on this staff, that you're not going to have a long leash, and, and and I do wonder kind of whether whether Kelly McCrimmon survives all this, especially after the Evgeny Dadanov situation and, and trying to trade him and the fiasco with the, with the no trade clause. That this could be a, a complete circus of an off season for the Golden Knights. Talking VGK, talking NHL. Stephen Wino, AP is with us. The Knights lose a just a horrific game last night against a bad Devils team when they absolutely had to win. They lose it. Three two. So to go back to the the Leonard comment. So you heard what we heard, right? Uh, that my my read on it was that was pretty obvious. DeBoer basically backed the bus over Leonard. Now that said, Stephen Leonard did not uh, look good on the second and third goals. But maybe the bigger issue is he shouldn't have been out there. And, and look, I think nothing's black and white in this business or in life, really. And I think there's something to be said for Robin Leonard. He didn't move on the one goal. He didn't see the puck go past him on that one goal. Uh, I, I, but I think there's a lot to blame for kind of mistakes happening in front of him as well, and 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 maybe a little bit of, of, of kind of pressing and and you think of, of a team like this, the Golden Knights have been playing with a kind of a good level of urgency for a bit of time and winning a bunch of games, and you look like you, even with the Dallas Stars kind of moving up and then having games in hand, that this team might be able to either catch Dallas or excuse me, catch the LA Kings or hold off Dallas and and those sort of things. But there's there was a certain kind of panic in the Golden Knights game in general last night that wasn't just Leonard. But it's clear Robin Leonard's probably not 100%. And, and, and without the, the, the depth of, of cap space to be able to add a goaltender at the deadline and Laurent Brassois being on, on LTR IR now, uh, there's a certain desperation that this team is in right now. And whether it's Robin Leonard or the rest of the team, it's not going well when you've got guys who are not 100% playing. And when you know you've got to get two points out of every night, it, it's, it's a hard way to live in this league. Uh, Steven, so I talked to uh, Jack Eichel today for a moment, and, you know, he, he comes in, he gets the neck surgery, he makes his debut, and there's a mesh of egos there. There's a mesh of top-line players. You obviously have covered him a lot being on the, when he was on the East Coast, and I asked him if he would feel disappointed in coming from a franchise. He, you know, he wanted to go to a contender if he was going to miss the playoffs. And he made it seem as if he's getting along. He's got relation. He's got good relationships, and you know that's something they, the bridge they got to cross if they don't make the playoffs. Do you think that everything is hunky dory in the locker room with this guy? I don't think everything's hunky dory in the locker room. I, I don't know how much of it is, is on Jack Eichel, but the fact that he was kind of the lightning rod of the season certainly makes him a focal point, right? I mean, and this is a guy who was in Buffalo and, and asked out and, and kind of had this kind of argument with the organization and clearly just kind of ruffled people the wrong way there. And and I don't know how much of it is kind of the stink of losing from Buffalo that kind of stays on someone. Ryan O'Reilly had that fear, and then he goes to St. Louis and wins the Stanley Cup. And Jack Eichel just can't seem to shake it. And so I think if you're, if you're a teammate who have been around a while, and all of a sudden you're spending all these assets and you're trading Alex Tuck and, and, and you're, you're, you're giving up all this 
for this guy who's supposed to put you over the hump and it doesn't happen, I think it's natural to, to, to be kind of wondering like, what changed with the mix here. Because, again, these guys aren't robots. And, and, and Jack Eichel has not made the playoffs in the NHL. That's an that's a, a, a indisputable fact. And, and, if, and there's some times, and we see this at, at the deadline all the time with contending teams, that you bring in a player who it just doesn't work. I, the, the, I covered the Capitals a few years ago when Kevin Shattenkirk came into deadline, and it just didn't work. The Capitals gave up a first-round pick and thought this guy is going to be the, the, the guy who takes over the top. You play, and, and Barry Trotz played him on the, the third pair and didn't play top power play, and all of a sudden it wasn't that he was a bad guy. It just didn't work, and, and it just feels like something's a bad fit with Jack Eichel with this entire mix in, 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 with the Golden Knights right now that I don't know how Kelly McCrimmon or George McPhee or whoever's in charge in a, in a few months even fixes it with all these big contracts and big salary cap numbers. Stephen, the uh, the Caps are here to take on VGK tomorrow. Talk about how Washington's been playing. No pressure from behind on the wild card, but, man, of late they've been kicking booty. Yeah, and scoring a lot of goals and, and, and giving up a lot of chances, too, other than that game in, in Colorado last night where a couple nights ago where they, they kind of locked, last time they kind of locked it down and, and won a playoff-style game a, a little more. But they've been scoring a lot of goals and giving up a lot. Their goaltending is a, is a big question mark. But this is a team that, that now you start to wonder if they can win enough games and, and, and face Arizona in a, in a few nights as well. If they can win enough games, maybe you catch the Penguins and you play either the Rangers or the Carolina Hurricanes without your, your, an injured, with an injured starting goaltender in Freddie Anderson. And you start to think, okay, maybe this team can win a playoff series. But it, the Capitals have been playing better as of late. It's just been kind of a roller coaster ride of, of a, a few down weeks, a few up weeks. They had a players-only meeting recently, and I think things have changed a little bit since then. But it's an older team, but still uh, still a group that, that can do some damage. Steven, appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. There he is, Steven Wino from the AP. We flip the page. We'll get back to VGK a little later in the show. Uh, we'll turn the page, though, and get to the Patriots and talk about the draft, our path to the draft, the Pats up with the number 21 pick, and get into the organization that both Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler left behind. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. With the 29th pick in the 2014 NFL Draft, the New England Patriots select Dominic Easley. Defensive end, Florida. If he gets healthy, like Will Fork and Kelly, they've got three really good inside players, Mel. This kid can play a one-gap, get-off-the-ball-and-penetrate style. I've seen him two-gap guards. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for Cofield and Company's Path to the Draft. What's funnier, right? John Gruden's analysis of the pick or how the pick turned out didn't work out for the Patriots. These things happen in the first round. It's very unpredictable. Patriots number 21 in this year's draft. Willie Ramirez, Steve Cofield. Let's bring in Kyle Hightower as he helps us out with the New England path to the draft. Kyle, how you doing? How you doing, guys? We're good. We're good. We have a lot to break down. You know, I'm going to go on a tangent here for a second because I know you cover just about everything in Boston. Will this $50,000 fine for uh, Fingergate with Kyrie Irving just solve everything? Is it going to clean it up and the crowd will really behave now? Uh, We're going to go with no. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) On both accounts, uh, obviously. I think that uh, Kyrie is uh, both annoyed and fueled by uh, what the fans have been giving him in Boston, and the Boston fans are going to be fueled and and motivated by uh, by the fact that they seem to have gotten under Kyrie's skin 
ever so slightly. So I think it's going to be more of the same uh, tomorrow night for game two. And uh, I can't wait to, to be in there to see how it all plays out. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we were led to believe over the years that you don't leave Belichick and you don't leave with a bunch of Belichick uh, employees. Well, Josh McDaniels did that. Dave Ziegler uh, followed along. I kind of wonder right now if I go with the whole middle finger theme, if Belichick wants to give those two guys the finger. What has been the fallout? Like, has, I mean, Belichick's not going to say a lot, but whispers around the organization. Is Belichick mad? He's got a bunch of guys leaving? Um, I, I think I think it definitely, you know, Saban and, and Belichick play by that, that, that unspoken rule. And I think the fact that um, Belichick did not go after Bill O'Brien uh, to, to come in and, and replace McDaniels as the offensive coordinator uh, speaks a lot to how uh, Belichick's philosophy with that is. You know, you just don't take other guys, um, you know, um, or coaches. You know, the, that's, that's the rule that Saban and, and Belichick have lived by. And I think, the, you know, I think he had a girl issue with McDaniels, but the fact that he took some of his top or took his top front office guy with him uh, to, to Las Vegas is has got to um, eat at him. You know, you definitely uh, get that sense that in the fact that Belichick kind of replaced the guys who were up under um, under Ziegler, you know, to kind of, you know, to kind of move into the spot and, and to run the show uh, without him. So, uh, you know, I mean, you're right. Belichick's never going to come out right out and say that he's been annoyed by that. But, uh, you know, I think there is going to be some uh, some blowback down the road for sure from, from Belichick, uh, you know, with, with Dale's making that move. So, Kyle, i got to ask you, because during his uh, introductory press conference, he was very adamant in what he learned when he was a head coach at Denver and how he's grown and matured since then. Now, I remember when he was with Denver and had a close friend who played for the Broncos at the time, and I just remember some of the immaturity and and some of the things that that rubbed the players the wrong way. How have you seen, even as an assistant, how has Josh McDaniel matured, and will he have a, a better run as a head coach the second time around, well, I think he will uh, for sure. I, I think that you know he he was trying to to be the Belichick clone a, a little bit, uh, and you know only one guy can play that role. You know, uh, you know you, you, you can't really uh, mimic it. You can, only, you can only mimic it and, and, and try to be a robot of, of Belichick for for so much. You got to have some, some of your own personality. I think that's from the second step in New England when he came back after that failed experiment in Denver. That's what you saw. You saw a guy. Who, who was trying to to be more of the the mentor, more of the one on one guy, more of the things he thrives in, uh, and when he had success with, especially last season with with Mac Jones, and I think that's what he's going to carry with him uh, to Las Vegas. I think he's going to try to be be more of himself and, and, and not try to be more of a clone of, of Bill Belichick, but kind of develop and, and not even develop, but even kind of show the personality he developed the last couple of years, the last you know handful of years uh, as the offensive coordinator here in New England, and uh, I think he does have more success a more talented team that you had uh, in Denver uh, to start. And I think that uh, if you can figure out that, you know, where he wants to go at the, you know, the top of that offense, uh, then I think it's going to really dictate how far they can go. You know, outside of the offensive and defensive coordinators, which we get to, you know, speak to once a week during the season, you rarely hear a lot about the assistants. With this Raiders team last year, with everything that went down, with so many different off-the-field things, we heard so much about, all the assistants in their roles, especially Basaccia, but, you know, just what they meant in the locker room and, and how different guys play different roles as mentors. What re- kind of relationship, what, what kind of person, and how was he respected and maybe revered a little bit as an assistant by the Patriots? 
I think it's it's very high regard just by how he was able to to navigate that relationship that you know uh, with, with Tom Brady when Brady was you know here in New England. I mean that's not an easy uh, thing to do when you have a, a player of that caliber who kind of overshadow you. You can kind of hold your 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 job status and it is probably if he doesn't like you. And the fact that he was able to to adhere into culture to to cultivate that relationship with Brady, uh, you know spoke a lot uh, to the to the players around him that like, hey, Brady likes him, you know, uh he trusts him. He's a guy that we can trust as well. And I think that Mac Jones, you know, having seen that relationship from afar, obviously much younger and not having that much experience with him, but able to see what he was able to do with Brady, uh, you know, and, and navigate that relationship, be able to, you know, help him uh get to his highest level and, and do his best performances on the field, I think uh spoke went a long way and I think that's gonna be again both well for him. Uh, this time around as a head coach. Trent Brown's homecoming to New England didn't go uh, so well. He's got durability issues. Is that an obvious spot for the 21st pick is for the Patriots to go and get some more tackle depth and, frankly, some guys who can challenge for starting roles at tackle? Uh, I think so. Uh, and, and I think, you know, even though he didn't play the particularly the tackle position in college, uh, one guy to watch, you know, uh, is a local guy here in the Boston area. Uh, and, and Zion Johnson, you know, he's a versatile guy who I think, they, you know, the Patriots can work with him and kind of, we can kind of learn that tackle spot. He also plays some center, plays some guard in college. And I, I think you're right. I think that's a spot where the Patriots have got to make sure they have some durability, have some, uh, some consistency there that, that Trip Brown, um, you know, kind of, you know, ha- hasn't been able to bring thus far in, in his return to England. And, uh, you know, that spot, and, and also defense. I mean, you can't cut out the, the quarterback and the linebacker spot. Uh, that would be another focal point for the, for the Patriots, potentially in that first-round pick. Is there any chance that with all the wide receiver depth that Belichick and company are tantalized enough to go and get a potential number one receiver? Uh, I think the fact that they got Dante, uh, uh, Devontae Parker in there, um, maybe that's your number one option. Uh, coming into there, but a guy who's you know a veteran who's you know who's had some success, particularly in the division, uh, and potentially against the Patriots at times, uh, says that they're. I think they're going to go more defensive, as you say, more off the line at the top of the draft. Maybe get some depth guys at receiver later on, but I think that the the old line and the defense, particularly quarterback and linebacker, are, are the the focal points for the Patriots early. How much upside do you think Mac Jones has? I think he has a lot. I think he has a lot because he's. You know, he's kind of that system guy that, uh, that has thrived in England. I mean, uh, as great as, as Tom Brady was and is, um, one of the reasons he was able to have so, so much success is because of the system he played here in New England. And, yes, Johnson Daniels is gone, and, yeah, there's going to be some overhaul, some change of how they do things here. But I think that it's not going to change that much that fast, uh, particularly since the Patriots are not bringing in a brand-new offensive coordinator, at least initially. Uh, to, to replace McDaniels, you're going to have a lot of guys who who learn from McDaniels, who, who approach offense a lot of the same way that McDaniels does, and that's going to bode well for for how Matt Jones develops. Uh, and look, I mean, you know, in that system, he was able to put up some numbers, able to to get the ball out to guys they wanted to get the ball out to. Uh, it was just the talent base around him at, at receiver uh, wasn't as great. You improve that um, even just a little bit, bringing in Devontae Parker. Yeah, as you said, maybe maybe going after a guy in the draft uh, to to bolster the the guys like Jacoby Myers and you know people that I already have there. Um, I think he's going to continue to have success, but this is a big year for him, no, no doubt about it. 
This is a crazy one, and we're getting uh, the uh, draft skinny from Kyle Hightower, AP, who covers the Patriots and the rest of the Boston scene. I saw one mock draft with the Patriots taking a punter. Now, we're familiar with this guy because he's a San Diego yeah. State punter, Matt Ariza. Could you see Belichick drafting a punter? Maybe not the first, maybe not that first round, maybe not that early, but, I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, he, he's, you know, he's, he's a big special teams guy. That's one uh, facet of the game that Belichick, um, you know, he, he focuses, it on, focuses on, that he harps on, that, uh, you know, he, he came up in the league on, uh, or as a coach on, as a special teams guy, and sees the value in it. Uh, so, uh, I mean, they, they, they drafted the kicker, you know, uh, even though it didn't work out, um, you know, uh, a couple years ago. So, I mean, I, I think that it's not outside the realm of possibility. Uh, that early in the draft, uh, you know, I, I'm a little skeptical, but I uh, wouldn't put it past Belichick. He's done stranger things in the past. All right, Kyle, we're going to put you on the griddle, uh, the betting griddle. Patriots are actually a dog to make the playoffs. You can get plus 135. So every 100 bucks you bet, you get 135 bucks if the Patriots make the playoffs. Yes, no, they make the playoffs. Patriots make the playoffs, yes. Damn, look at that. That was quick. No heaven and hawing. No hesitation. I just, I mean, just the point. I, I think that yeah, they're the the AFC East is a much, is a is a deeper and, and better uh, division. But I just think over time, you, you know, you, you play you play teams twice. I think the Patriots don't go over two against you know against two of those teams in the AFC East. So I, I just think they're going to be in the mix and. You know, with some things, the NFL, as we all know, the follow, follow, you know, their way on a, any given Sunday, I, I, I didn't see this team making the playoffs. I mean, that the anomaly year with you with Cam, with Cam Newton there at the helm, I, I think that I think that's just not you're going to see that too often from the Patriots. And I think in the long haul, betting against the Patriots is a, is a bad bet. So I, I, I think this team's a playoff team next year. All right, Kyle. We appreciate a couple minutes on the Patriots, and don't be yelling nasty words and cussing at Kyrie Irving. Please, come on now. <laughs> Well, we'll see. I, I try to hold my tongue. Okay. There he is. Kyle Hightower, AP, covers the Boston team. What do you think, Willie? Yes, no on the playoffs. The no is minus 155 for the Patriots. I'm, um, I'm automatically playing the yes. Why? No McDaniels. No Ziggler. It exactly. all comes crumbling down. No shot. Uh, total on wins is eight and a half. Oh, I would go over. Just it, See, here's the thing. It's one of those that until they completely tank and just go, it, 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 they're just not a lost cause where you have to give it, where you're getting that value. It's still Belichick. And I, I don't think that this team is something that you ignore a plus price with, with something. I, I mean, I, I would look at it more like a value as much more, more than do you actually believe. Like, I think that Belichick's good enough to – will this team and coach this team up and to get into the postseason and definitely to get more than eight wins. Um, the value that you're getting with the price in order to get over, what, what's the number on eight and a half? Is it, is it a plus or minus? It's a minus 130. To go over. Correct. So you're, laying a, so you're laying a price to go over eight and a half, which is the favorite. And the reality is nine, 10 wins in that division. You know, you got Buffalo. And then New England, I don't know about the Miami, Miami Jets. Um, so I, I think I think the, to make the playoffs is a good value.